I'm Rachel Friedman. And I'm Tara Morgan. Here at Study State Podcast, we are really interested in backstories, the experiences on and off the water that make people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. By sharing stories about the humanity of our sport, we're disrupting the narrative about rowing culture and celebrating a real-life experience from launch to cox seat at every level. If this is your first time here, welcome. If you're coming back for another episode, thanks for being here. Last time on Steady State Podcast, we kicked off season four with a mother-daughter Olympic duo, Lisa and Jebby Stone. Though they humbly reject the comparison, Seattle has the Pococks, Philadelphia has the Kellys, and Boston has the Stones. They charmed us by sharing their no talking about rowing at the dinner table rule, their never-ending exploration for the perfect stroke, and finding and fostering joy in the sport. If you missed it, listen anytime at SteadyStateNetwork.com slash podcast or anywhere you get podcasts. Steady State Podcast is sponsored in part by Concept2, making world-class rowing products since 1976. Find out more at Concept2.com and our newest sponsor, Live to Row, live online and in-person indoor rowing classes, training camps, and coaching for every body. Visit live2rowstudios.com. That's www.live2rowstudios.com. On today's show, we're talking with Jess Jackson, a DEI associate at U.S. Rowing. A former D1 volleyball player with an MS in sports admin, Jess joined U.S. Rowing in 2022, where she aims to think critically and make the most effective and inspiring change for the future of diversity and equity in sport. Hi, I'm Jess Jackson, and you're listening to Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. Hello. Jess Jackson, hello. hello. So welcome to Steady State Podcast. Thank uh, you. So Thanks. funny question, and just a quick <laughs> question. Do you know what sit ready means? No clue. <laughs> okay. okay, that's great. Okay. We, yeah, we, uh, we were talking about you and your experiences, uh, but one of the things we find interesting always is that sports have their own lingo and sports have all their own sort of catchphrases. Uh, so it's volleyball, of course, and basketball, everybody's got it. Um, but sit ready just means you're in the boat, you have the oar in your hand, or you're on the erg and you have the erg handle in your hand and you are like, the coach says, ready to go. Ready. Okay. Yeah, that makes ready. sense. Yeah. Because, because it's such a sync sport, like everyone has to go at the same time. And right. there's just this like, sync mentality yeah it's really unusual that's why I think this sport of rowing is definitely interesting to watch and like it'd be cool to be a part of for sure it's really cool how just how in sync rowers are and like that's why I love watching eights go down because eight people well technically nine in a boat all in sync wild and it, and it takes so much to get there to, to learn how to do that and make it work. And it's fascinating too, when you think you're in sync and then you see video and you're like, whoa, and you start seeing like all the little details that aren't in sync, but maybe there's happening so fast that it seems like they're in sync. It's very misleading. And then when you see video from the side you know, and you're like, oh dear, that's not in sync. And then you see a shot over the stern of the blades and when the blades are going, and that is like a circus. We call that a drunken octopus. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, okay. On a scale of one to 10, how's your week going? And have you gotten any workouts, good workouts in? Woof. On a scale of one to 10, my week. So I flew Southwest this week. 
which gave me a 12 hour travel day that was supposed to be like three. Um, So that probably would bring the score down to a five. But the week around that actually has been really nice. So I'll actually bump it back up to an eight. I can't let Southwest take my shine. (laughs) Um, And then I have gotten a lot of good workouts in this week. Me and my fiance love going to Orange Theory. And so we have been going to Orange Theory just about every day, genuinely. Yeah. (laughs) So it's been incredible. Oh, okay. So at Orange Theory, you must get on the water rowers, right? I do. Yeah. I really love it because I think after leaving college sports, like you're so used to doing the like heavy Olympic lifting. And once I left, I had a really hard time figuring out like, what do I want my workouts to look like? I don't have the same goals that I did when I was playing volleyball. Like, what are my goals now? How do I find workouts for it? It was a whole thing. And eventually after a year of just like looking stuff up on TikTok and like putting random workouts together, we finally tried Orange Theory and like, I absolutely fell in love. You don't have to think about the workout. You can just go in 60 minutes. They tell you what to do. You get a great 500 calorie workout in. You are our first guest who is not a rower or an indoor rower, and that's totally okay. Thank Lots you. Of us, yeah. It's Lots. okay. This is a safe space. <laughs> <It's> I'm honored. <laughs> Lots of us, including Tara and I, are, were involved in other sports growing up and other activities before we ever set foot in a boat. So we wanted to talk with you a little bit about what role sport has played in your life. Awesome. Rachel and I both come from backgrounds where we played softball. Uh, I played a lot of basketball and volleyball. I mean, I basically like if there's a stick and a ball, I'd I'd like to try it kind of thing. So how, when did you start playing sport and was this a part of your family culture or, and then how did it play out in your school and life? I definitely grew up playing sports. Like I gave everything a try, went from cheerleading, baseball, Um, I played basketball and volleyball. Those were my two main sports growing up. And then in high school, I also ran track. And then eventually I was like, yep, volleyball's it. This is like final choice. Um, And then I committed to play at Colorado State University. And so I went up to Fort Collins for five years because I tore my Achilles before I even got there. Um, and so I was up in Fort Collins until 2019. And so have definitely always played sports. Both my parents were athletes in high school. My dad played basketball in college at Wichita State. And then my brother, also an athlete. So definitely a house full of athletes. <laughs> and where was it that you grew up? I grew up in Denver, Colorado. Did you ski at all? That's a super generic question for people in Colorado. <laughs> so we definitely, as a family, um, we used to have these things called the ski train. I went when I was very young, like learning how to pizza my toes so I could stop. I, we only went like two years in a row because I think after that, it just got expensive. And then when I got to college, if I wanted to try it, our coach didn't let anybody scare snowboard who was not already good at it because you were not going to get hurt. <laughs> Oh, oh yeah. that's that's true. It is a little risky there. Yeah. Very, very. <laughs> yeah. I grew up in New England, which is also a place people assume that you ski. Um, but if you don't have the money, you don't ski. And we didn't have the money, so I didn't ski. And right. I didn't get a chance to um, even give it a try. I was in my early 20s and I actually went out to Fort Collins. I was visiting a friend of mine. And uh, yeah, I got on the bunny slopes on a, on a snowboard once I had a time in my life, but have not <laughs> done it again somehow. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, Jess, how old are you? Do you mind if I ask? I am 25. So Rachel and I come from the era, I think, started to really benefit from Title IX. And because we were born in the early 70s. And the Title IX. I was born in the early 70s. Rachel's born in the late 70s. 70s. In the 70s. Um, And Title IX was 1972, right? right? And so we didn't see the full effects that that your generation has. Like you're the generation of my niece who has played on every possible travel soccer team and every possible, you know, just like, well, of course you're going to play sports. And now there's uh, lots more opportunities. Have you related any of your athletic successes to the, the title nine success? I mean, there's, there's definitely a path here of women in sport and opportunity. There definitely is. Ooh, any of my successes related to the Title IX success? I mean, like, I want to say all of them because without Title IX, you know, I'd never have the opportunity. Just, it was not long ago. Like, people think that, you know, history is history and it's in the past, but reality is there's still so many people who, you know, they were the first ones on the travel soccer team. My fiance's mom was the first, or she was the second um soccer team at the University of Illinois so it's like people are not far off we are not far off from this history you know and I think it totally makes sense if you're like you know what I just played sports you know that's that's how far we've come since the 70s and title nine is honestly not something that I really thought about growing up not really anything I thought about when I was playing sports in college until I went to Syracuse University And I didn't think about Title IX Mm. until it was Title IX that actually ended up drawing money away from some men's sports. And I was like, well, that's fucked up. Like, (laughs) on the one hand, yay, women's sports, but then the men's sports ended up really losing out. And so that was the first time for me that I really started thinking about Title IX and what it meant for women and men's sports. Right. Yeah, Mm. I think I could definitely agree with that Um, because we kind of had a similar ish situation happen at Colorado State University where our softball team was basically being given the crap into the stick when it came to, you know, our indoor practice facility and football, the football team. Um, And so they had to fight. They definitely brought it to athletic services, but it was like this whole almost year long battle. And it was like, this is crazy. Like football just has this, they just built a brand new facility over yonder. Like let's use that. Why are we still, it was a lot. (laughs) You know, sport being so such a part of your life, your whole life. Do you call yourself an athlete? Yeah, definitely. I think an athlete can be, you know, anyone who desires to do something athletic you don't have to be the best at what you what you do to be called an athlete um so I definitely would say that I was an athlete I'm still an athlete because you know I'm kind of training still not training for what I used to train for but definitely still training (laughs) what's your first impressions about rowing being new to U.S. rowing and you new to the sport when I first heard about the sport of rowing was at University of Louisville Um, They have a women's rowing team there. Um, And so I heard a little about it, but not too much. They didn't really come to any affinity groups that I was helping. So I didn't really get to know them while I was at the University of Louisville. But then when I applied for this position, you know, I'm learning about what it takes to be a rower, how you even join a crew team. Like, what is that process? Um, And so initially, 
I definitely thought the sport was a very cool athletic um what do you like an athletic feat almost because it's so much different than volleyball whereas like there's six moving parts all at once doing very different things the entire time which makes it unique in itself um but then there's rowing where everything is done in sync all at once together um which really takes cohesion so I thought that was very incredible um so that's one part I thought that rowing was a very exclusive sport that's what it feels like from the outside it did it just felt very exclusive and white I remember I was showing my mom pictures of I think I just googled like regatta wear because I was like well what do I wear to regattas like are the, am I gonna have to wear like khakis slacks like what does this look like nowadays and I was showing my mom and I was like mom I don't have any Sperry's like what do I do um <laughs> and so that was definitely like my first impressions I'm like what do I wear like everybody's gonna I don't know I was nervous <laughs> that's exactly what a lot of people think about the sport and um I don't own any Sperry's either but <laughs> it is something that I think there is a movement away from Tara and I started a steady state with the notion of being blazer free. So you won't see us in, um, in slacks and loafers. <laughs> uh, right. And the thing is like, we can't really turn our backs completely on that history of the sport. Yeah. Like that is essentially how the sport has thrived. And then we hear the stories like the boys in the boat story, you know, where there were those like lumberjack, the sons of lumberjacks and blue collar workers. And they went on to defeat the Nazis, you know, in the, in the Olympics. So we can't really totally turn our back on that. And it would be cool if we could figure out a way to redefine the blazer and like reissue um, that concept of decorum, you know, within the sport. Cause I think every sport has it. You have your banquet, what, what you would wear to the banquet and then what you would wear to practice. Right. Um, right. Um, Rachel and I definitely agreed that the narrative we're trying to talk about uh, doesn't ever really get talked about, which is just the real life ground level experience in the sport of rowing, which I hope you've gotten to meet a lot of people. And I wanted to ask you about the head of the Charles. Uh, that's basically the Super Bowl of rowing for us. And it's the biggest event in the world. Did you meet a lot of just everyday uh, rowers and everyday people there? So head of the Charles was my second regatta that I've been to. And my first was um, Masters Nationals. And so this was kind of like my second just experience of like seeing what everything was about and like who was actually there. I talked to a lot of people at the Rowing in Color tent. I went over and talked to Brian at the Gay and Lesbian Rowing Foundation tent. But a lot of what Head of the Charles was for me um, was definitely like seeing and being able to experience like what this environment is actually like I think I've mostly talked to people who I've already met because it is it's a very intimidating space um and people have on you know their their letters and some people have on their blazers and you know I think if people are willing to talk to me and want to talk to me absolutely 100 percent so based on some of your initial you know notions of what what rowing is and what the rowing community is and having been to a couple of regattas was there anything you were like oh this is a thing like this is a nugget that I'm walking away from these regattas saying I need to work on this or I want to think about this in terms of what I'm doing with U.S. rowing yeah absolutely I think one of the big ones that um, I always think about is creating a space 
for people who don't feel like they belong at regattas for people who may be from marginalized communities to come and like share space and be with one another and not feel like they have to pretend or like they have to save face um whether it's with their teammates whether it's with um different crews who are around like just creating and cultivating a space where people can come relax feel comfortable and they don't have to code switch I think that's one of the biggest things that you know I see coming from a volleyball background I've had to do it but I cannot imagine how much people have to code switch um in the sport of rowing because I mean I even do it myself um I try not to because I want to be the most authentic version of myself possible um but there are still times where it's like all right like I I need to talk a little (laughs) a little less how I'm used to talking um in front of these particular people and so I think definitely be able to, being able to cultivate that space um, has been a very impo- important focus of mine. Could you talk with us a little bit about that code switching and could you define what code switching is for our listeners? Yes, absolutely. Code switching for me is basically like, um, it happens a lot on phones. Like if, you, if you've ever worked a phone job um, and I have you answer the phone and I mean, the reality of it is you sound more white. You sound less like yourself in order to appease to the audience that you're talking to. People do it whether you think so or not. I don't know if the term comes from the African-American experience specifically, um, but I know that, you know, even my family being from Southern states have that, you know, thick Southern accent um, or they have that Southern draw. And mm-hmm. being able to taper that back in order to, quote unquote, sound professional or, quote unquote, sound like you belong there. That is code switching. So it's basically right. like you tampering back yourself or you switching how you talk in order to appease to the audience. We are very aware of that and very aware of the experiences of non-white rowers coming into the rowing sphere and saying, how do I fit in here? How do I make sure that my voice is being represented here? Or take it even to the more simplistic, how do I make sure that I'm having an authentic conversation with my coaches and my teammates? And, you know, Tara and I definitely want to talk with you a bunch about U.S. rowing and conversations around DEI. And these are very big conversations that have really taken off in like the last three years. And I'm starting to see some changes. And I guess I'm relating this to code switching because I'm wondering, and this is just a big rhetorical, I'm just wondering if (laughs) sights and sounds of rowing are going to change in big ways in the years to come. I think that the ball is rolling in that direction. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with you. And I think that's the ultimate goal, but I think the reality of code switching and the reality of being a rower of color Um, and just a person of color in this nation is that people are always going to, until we deconstruct like history and what happened and we own up to, you know, everything, the world is still going to be white centered and the world is still going to be white focused. And so there's still going to be, you know, like who knows what the Ivy Leagues are going to look like, but if Rower of Color works their complete ass off to get to this Ivy League um, school, 
they're still going to feel the need to code switch because of the history of the Ivy League school, because of the history of rowing, because of the traditions that are upheld. Um, so I feel like it's it's going to take a lot in the space of rowing, but hopefully like that's what we're, <laughs> that's the angle we're trying to get to yeah. is to where people feel like they can just completely walk onto a team and feel like they can be the, their whole selves where people feel like they can just exist without having to fake it in a way. You know, you're talking about coming into collegiate programs, but I'm actually wondering if the progress and the change might not come there first. But, you know, Tara and I have been involved in rowing for a very long time and mostly at the master's level. And we see a lot of work happening, DEI work happening at the master's level. I'm wondering if in that in that space, in the master's space, is really where we might see change and growth in terms of DEI. I feel like we could see it in the master space. I also feel like the youth space has a lot of potential for change within DEI, um, just because the kids that are coming up right now, like they're going to do what they want to do. And I absolutely love it. Like they're going to be who they want to be. They're going to present how they want to present. And at the end of the day, like, if you don't like it, that's on you, not on them. Um, right, so that's right. what I really appreciate about this new generation and the youth that are coming up because they're strong. They are steadfast with masters. I hope that people will be able to improve the way DEI exists in the master's realm. I think at the current moment, masters, like the masters that we're looking at who are 60, 70, 80 years old, they are the ones who have upheld these positions of power. They've had 60, 50, 40 years of experience. Um, and some of them are already, you know, steadfast in their ways. They don't want to change. And we've seen a lot of that discourse in our emails and calls that, that we've received, um, especially after, you know, this gender identity policy went out. Like people who have been here, they're, they're afraid of traditions being taken away they're afraid of change to the sport because they have done it for so long and it's right. scary I can agree that change is scary but I think with the masters it's just a matter of helping them understand like DEI is good for us because it improves the sport because it allows more people to be involved because like you have to give them reasons whereas like youth and DEI they just want to show up and be themselves and they they already are <laughs> like I think it'll be different. It's different challenges, but at the end of the day, um, there's definitely room for growth all around. And when you say DEI, we just want to clarify, uh, when Rachel and I talk about it, we know that there's a, a race factor, there's a gender factor, there's an ability factor, there's a maybe a geography and financial factor. Are we missing anything? Yeah, so I would say it's any identity without power any identity who is seen as having the least amount of power. I think you hit a lot of them right on the head. And those are also, you know, barriers of entry to the sport. You have to be near a body of water, race, gender, socioeconomic, like all of those are barriers of entry to this sport. Um, and so I think that is 100% what I'm talking about, but I'm also talking about allyship and the way everybody in the sport needs to be an ally because at the end of the day, like, even if you think you don't have power, you have a little bit of power. Me as an able-bodied cisgender woman, I have power. 
I have the ability to make change. And I think that's one of the most important things that like, I want people to understand is that every single one of us has some sort of power. It's just a matter of like how we use it and how we, how we want to create that change. Steady State Podcast is sponsored in part by Breakwater Realty Group, serving Maine and New Hampshire. Breakwater Realty Group is defined by integrity, service, and expertise. Breakwater challenges you to create a vision for your life and love where you live. Visit the team at breakwaterrealtygroup.com. Breakwater Realty Group, the evolution of your real estate experience starts here. Steady State Podcast is made possible with listener support. Become a patron today for early access to episodes, discounts on SSN swag, and invitations to patron-only events. Find out more about support levels and benefits at steadystatenetwork.com slash Patreon. In two, we're back with Jess Jackson. That's one, two. And you're right. There is a stereotype of the old timers kind of being stuck in their ways and they just, you know, they want their rowing the way they want it. And and Rachel and I have seen that play out in the comments on us rowing's uh, Facebook page, which have been, yeah. and, and which, and Instagram, which are shocking to me personally, I won't speak for Rachel, but I think we both have talked about it quite a bit, um, how shocking some of those responses are of just, just get back to rowing. Yeah. Know, no or, politics. And, you know, there's yeah, no place yeah. in the sport you know, for just, I mean, it's so myopic. It's so short-sighted. And then to have these major world events like Black Lives Matter happen and the pandemic and, and all these things get magnified and amplified. And then U.S. Rowing seeing that as a launching off point. And Amanda Krause as the new-ish CEO putting together these different initiatives. And so tell us about the team that you're working with at U.S. Rowing and, and who's in that DEI initiative circle, the sphere with you. So in that sphere with me um, is the head of community engagement, Jenny Trace. It's Will Bott, Rachel Hunter, um, and Brooke Yummer with Stem to Stern. And then it's Deb Arrington with Adaptive Rowing. So that's kind of, that's our circle right there. I mean, what the, what the hope, the goal is, is that every single department and every single person has a mind that is DI focused. And that, you know, when you're looking through the, the newsletter, it's like, oh, what, what am I seeing here? Is it mainly white? Is it mainly male? Like, what does it look like? How can we change that? We're really wanting to become an organization that is telling the stories of rowers who you don't usually hear from, of rowers who are not usually seen, not usually in the mainstream media. Um, we want to get these grassroots organizations, these grassroots rowers, to be able to tell their stories on a larger platform like U.S. Rowing, because at the end of the day, like that's what's going to amplify the sport and that's what's going to continue to grow the sport. Because, you know, I know people say it all the time, but like if you can't see it, you can't be it. And I mean, I never saw a rower around when I was growing up. So what sport didn't I try? Rowing. Um, so it's definitely right, that right. mentality. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely that mentality. But it's it's really it really is an amazing group that I'm working with. And it genuinely feels like everyone wants the best for rowing and wants to make strides forward in the DEI realm. Because I mean, at the end of the day, like I know I wouldn't be here if they didn't, because that was one of my things when I was looking for a job was like, I'm not gonna 
go and play pretend. I'm not going to go and play face um, for a company that just wants to say they hired a person working in DEI. Like that's not what I'm here for. I will never be that person. And so, yeah, we, people are definitely on the right path in terms of DEI. So I'm part of an adaptive rowing program and Rachel has an adaptive program at her boathouse. So uh, a lot of us uh, at the club level received outreach from an outside agency that was hired by U.S. Rowing to survey uh, about inclusion. Yes. Can you explain? Right. And so can you explain that? Because I've had people ask me about this and I just want to get clarity. Like, is that someone that's still working for U.S. Rowing? Yes. So. Um, Truclusion was hired by the um, DEI committee and U.S. Rowing in order to come in and help formulate the DEI strategic plan specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they are their own consulting firm. And that survey was a part of one of many surveys that we ran to help us understand and decide like what was most important to the members, um, how the members felt. Do you feel like you belong? Do you feel like, you know, there's space for you here? It, it, it was basically a feeler survey of belonging and welcome, welcoming in the sport of rowing. And it was sent out to all members, past and present. You know, it was sent out to as many people as we could get it to in the rowing world. And Truclusion is still working with us. We are currently in the process of figuring out where the DEI strategic plan and where the organizational strategic plan overlap. Um, but like still, if anybody has questions, you can send them to me or Jenny and we will be more than happy to answer them. I was just wondering, do you know if the results of that survey would be made public to the members? Yes, so the results will be made public they're, they're good. They're good. It's stuff that people need to see because I think a lot of people who are like, no, like everybody feels welcome. or like, no, people feel welcome in the sport. It's like, no, there's like statistical data that says that they aren't. Follow Steady State Network on Facebook and Instagram at Steady State Network. Listen to more episodes about everything from indoor rowing to rowing across oceans. Search the podcast archive at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast dash topics or listen on your favorite podcast app. We're interested in your story. If you've got something to share or want to nominate someone to appear on the show, drop us a note at submissions at steadystatenetwork.com. Rachel, do you want to move on to Rocon and talk about Rocon? I do want to talk about Rocon 2023. Um, Tara and I individually have been to many U.S. rowing conventions over the years, and uh, we've started to see, especially in the last three years, a change in what sorts of things are being discussed and who's um, making presentations. You know, if we look back at especially Rocon 2020, I think that's when there was a huge shift. You know, we're used to going to the convention and it's coaches and people talking about rigging boats and um, training plans and things like that. And then in 2020, there was a very definite shift to start talking about DEI. And then we saw that again um, last year with even more sessions talking about race and gender throughout the convention. And we see that again coming up in 2023. And so I guess first question is, are you going to be at Rocon 2023? That is a great question. We are still uncertain, um, but hopefully, hopefully I'm able to be there. 
so in terms of sessions and presenters at Rocon 2023, is there anybody that you're really excited about and anybody that you would suggest like, yes, you definitely have to go to this session? Ooh, there's a lot of people I'm excited about specifically yeah. because um, how you were talking about over the past years, you've seen, you know, more introduction of DI related topics. This year has really been, I mean, from what I know and what I've helped with and from what I have heard the entire Rokan team talk about, um, there's three different tracks, three main tracks. So there's athlete development, program management, and hands-on learning. And from a DEI perspective, we tried to get as many people focused on DEI as we could. And the thing with this year is that even if they're not talking about DEI, um, we wanted them to have inclusive talks. So whether that's changing up the language that you use, changing up the examples that you use, um, we wanted everything to really have a DEI lens on it. Um, And I think that's what we're working toward with the whole organization is that it's not just oh, these things over here, DEI focused, and these things over here, rowing and rigging focused. The thing is that we want everything to have a DEI lens around it. So Kyle and Kamal are from Along Talk, and they are running an entire presentation on um, like the tools you need to be a part of the change um, for the modern boat houses. And they've come and done work with U.S. rowing specifically, as well as with schools like Yale, I believe they worked with, um, and a few other big organizations as well as schools. Um, and so they're going to be an incredible one to go and see. Donna Callahan is discussing ableism and rowing. Will and Brooke, who I was talking about earlier, they're discussing addressing barriers to rowing. Uh, over the years, Rachel and I have seen the, the convention sort of morph. You know, there was a, a time when all the inclusion topics were all on one day. This year, definitely, we are trying to integrate it within every single talk possible. Many people at U.S. Rowing believe that having an inclusion day is not the way to do inclusion. If you're having an inclusion day on the last day, that is the least inclusive thing you can do, like to the definition. And so definitely integrating it within every talk, integrating it within every day, every hour. Um, and understanding that, you know, if we're having a conversation about rigging, like that's not just rigging, it's adaptive rigging as well. Um, Mm -hmm. because who knows when you might need those skills, when we should be aiming to have, um, people with different abilities on every single team that we can. And so, you know, having those skills just allows you to be a step closer to achieving that. So it definitely is from the first day to the last day we would within all hours like that that was absolutely the goal do you happen to know are there any plans for making any part of the convention this year virtual that is an incredible question and i do not know the answer for that but we can absolutely find that out (laughs) i feel like that was like the biggest positive outcome of COVID was the fact that conferences that normally would see 200 people come to it saw 700 people come to it when it was virtual. Right. And talk about inclusion and accessibility. And I mean, it doesn't really address tech equity, but I just think it's such a huge missed opportunity. And 
I, I just really wish um, they were considering that. I, when I talked to the people, uh, to Brett Gorman, she said, no, there was no virtual. But in past years, they have at least videotaped the sessions and then put those out on uh, YouTube. So I'm hoping that there's some, I mean, just as like, that's a really practical application of being inclusive. I would pay for it. It you is. Know? Yeah, it definitely it's- is. And I know that um, the sessions are being recorded, um, but that's a great question. And I can actually find that out. <laughs> so if I go back, you know, far enough, I remember going to conventions and maybe paying 250 bucks for the weekend. And, you know, for some people that's doable for some, it's not for some people it's a stretch. And then through COVID while it was virtual, I mean, Tara and I were offering um, changemaker scholarships for, for folks and we paid like 149. And then all of a sudden we saw the the cost for this year's convention. And I was like, you know, yeah. um, that if you miss the, if you've missed the early deadline, all of a sudden you could be paying up to 550 bucks for the convention. And so I think that's why Tara and I especially are interested in some sort of virtual option for folks who really just can't afford $550. If you're looking at especially younger rowers, younger coaches, people who really want to be getting involved. Like if I look back at when I started to think about coaching, I had been rowing maybe a couple of years. I was in my early twenties. And if that was me today, there's no way I was going to, I'm going to pump out $550 to go to a three-day convention. Right. Um, I mean, I can't do it either. So yeah. So, well, you know, fingers crossed that uh, U.S. Rowing does make some of these sessions available online after the fact. I would think that they would. I mean, if you look at the the U.S. Rowing's current like resources, DEI, especially resources page, there's a lot there and links to um, all of those sorts of sessions um, the last couple of years. Yeah, I think maybe even just drawing attention to those um, around conference time and say, if you can't be here, here's all these great resources that already exist. So you know, I think it's just a hope for us that that when we have people who are really excited to be visionaries and go and try and network, which is a big leap of faith, it's intimidating. If you're a new coach or a master's rower who just wants to learn more about being a good board president or being a good leader for your club, the conference is a very intimidating place, often accentuated by or focused on uh, collegiate and elite coaching. Uh, So you see some of these heavy, heavy, heavy hitter coaches and technicians of the sport. So when I think about years past, when I've gone to the convention, I've done a lot of sitting in the back row, like sitting in the back row. I don't know anybody here. I'm not sure I belong here sort of situation. Right. And so if we're talking about inclusion and making environments open and inviting and welcoming to as many people as possible, how can we help all people take ownership of the convention, which is really a professional networking space? Mm, that's a great question. I would say get engaged and talk to the speakers as much as you can. And honestly, you don't even really know the speakers that are DEI focused because we tried to make it in a way that it wouldn't seem like, hey, this is for diversity. We're not saying people won't come if it's labeled you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion session. But like reality of it is there's some people and some coaches out there who that would, they're like, why do we need that? Like, I don't, I don't need that. And so I would definitely say if you're in the process of making connections, like talk to as many people as you can. Um, 
talk to the specific presenters and speakers because I'm sure they would sit down and have a conversation with you. I know Richard Butler is going and I believe he is presenting as well. And he was in this position before even I was, um, Mm -hmm. what was it like seven, eight years ago, but it wasn't called this. Um, But he was just doing the work. And I know he's a person who, you know, you just want to sit down and talk to and understand more about rowing, more about being inclusive, more about being a change maker on your team. He's an incredible person to talk to. I think that there's a lot of people like that who are going to convention and who will be presenting. And it's scary. It's so scary to just go up to somebody. It's almost like a cold call and be like, hey, here's my name. Here's what I do. Um, Mm -hmm. But I would say a tip for that is let them talk about themselves. People love talking about themselves. Have like a good five questions queued up. Um, They can be in your notebook. That makes it look like you've been thinking about this, um, which you have. But definitely just ask questions, ask people about their life experiences, ask people about what they wish they would have done better. If they could change something, what would it be? Um, I'm a firm believer in asking questions, doing the research um, and just learning and taking in as much as you can, because at the end of the day, like whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter what it is. If you don't research, if you don't talk to people, if you don't look into it, on your own will, it's never going to be great. So yeah, just being able to talk to as many people as you can. You got this. Don't be nervous. I know it's nerve wracking, but you got it. (laughs) I love that. I love that answer. Really, it's all about finding the confidence to step up and say, I belong here and I want to know folks and I want to learn things and let's take advantage of it. Yes. Yes. That's why I think it's great to have your questions written down because you won't forget them if you get nervous. And a lot of those speakers are so lovely to run into in the lunchroom. And, you know, there's going to be an opportunity. I mean, even just standing in the hallway and you see them and just be like, oh, I really liked your session and I'd love to connect. And I just have this quick question. And um, I hope that U.S. Rowing has recruited the kinds of speakers who would say, absolutely. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And they all are. Okay, (laughs) good. (laughs) Yeah, this has been fantastic. You know, we're always trying to um, connect with new voices. We're always trying to connect with U.S. Rowing, honestly, Um, you know, because we're outsiders, but we are members of U.S. Rowing. So it's always kind of cool when we get the chance to talk to someone who's inside and kind of can help us understand uh, what's happening there. Yes. Uh, That's important to us as well. Absolutely. I think that's the thing with U.S. Rowing is that there's so few people like there's, I think, 32 or 35 people working for us wrong and that includes the coaches and so you know it's a it's a small but mighty team um and i know that that includes like the di committee um specifically want to hear from people and want to hear their experiences we are also running like listening tours just to hear from different members of the community regardless of background like we want to hear from you about what us Rowing can do to improve di in the sport what we can do to break down barriers coming from your perspective because you got like y'all are the members out there rowing y'all are the ones um face to face with the community like we don't get the privilege of being that close every single day um and so if people are interested in listening to us you can email me or jimmy as well awesome thanks for mentioning that of okay course. <laughs> all right it's been well, great okay well thank you so much jess really this was nice getting to meet you and uh talk with you a bit And I'm sure we'll see you at probably Masters Nationals next year. Yes, absolutely. It was so great talking to you guys. Thank you for having me on, seriously. 
Thank you, Jess. Take care. All right, you too. To see photos of Jess Jackson and get links to the people, clubs, and events mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes on our website. Hey, Tara, I think some listeners might not know that Steady State is more than a podcast. Yeah, we should definitely tell them about Friday mornings when we get together for coffee chat. We talk about rowing, racing, and technique, and deep dive into things like inclusion and leadership. Yeah, we hope you'll join us Friday mornings at 8 a.m. West, 11 East, live on Instagram. Grab your favorite mug and be a part of the conversation. And sometimes we all need buddies to help us get through long workouts on the ERG. So we lead Steady State Sundays once a month at 6.45 a.m. West, 9.45 a.m. East. Join us January 29th and rack up some last minute meters for the C2 Virtual Team Challenge. When folks sign up for this free 60-minute virtual ERG workout, we provide cues and insights to keep them motivated along the way. Register at SteadyStateNetwork.com slash Sunday. Catch new episodes of Steady State Podcast every other Sunday. Coming up on the next show, we check in with Corinne Wiggins, who we first met and interviewed in early 2021. At just 16, she was motivated to connect rowers of color, so she started the at the Black Coxon Instagram account. Today, Corinne's a coxswain at Hobart College. At the Black Coxon account has thousands of followers, and she's as motivated as ever to influence change in the rowing community. Steady State Podcast is brought to you by me, Tara Morgan. And me, Rachel Friedman. Between us, we have nearly 40 years of rowing, coaching, and coxing experience, and we run successful rowing-related enterprises. Tara is the founder of Seize the Oar Foundation, which champions inclusion in the sport of rowing through team training, outreach, and thought leadership. And Rachel is the founder of RowSource, designing unique rowing gear for individuals, clubs, and events. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Seize the Oar and RowSource. Steady State Podcast is a production of Steady State Network. This episode was written, produced, and edited by Tara and Rachel. Rachel also manages our website and social media. Our theme music is by Jonas Hipper. In two, way enough. That's one, two, way enough. La, 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 da, da, da. Da. <laughs> All right, and here we go. <laughs> You're live. <laughs> We're live. <laughs> Over to you, Rachel. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.